the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. I'm recording a solo episode today, and we're going to be chatting about leadership and communication and management. Before we jump into that, a little bit about what's been happening over the last week at Vineyards. We're coming up to late November while I'm doing this recording, which means Christmas is almost here and summer holidays for those living in Australia and in a financial year for those in the US and also for some of our clients in the UK. And so what that means for us is it's time to start planning for holiday leave and also for another end of financial year and tax season. When we're planning for holidays, we try, especially around things like Christmas time, we try and get advance notice. So at the end of November, everyone will have submitted their leave applications and we'll be looking also at, we'll be confirming what dates we'll be closing down the office and looking at who are the backup bookkeepers while someone else is on holidays. And while it creates some extra work doing this kind of planning, there's a couple of reasons I think holidays are really important. One is that it's important for team members to have the chance to take some time off and relax and recharge and not be checking their email, have a digital detox and just reset and and come back refreshed. And I think it's important to encourage that and to have at least a couple of different breaks throughout the year and more than one or two days. I don't feel like that's enough to really refresh and, and relax. So that's one reason is to care for the health and well-being of your team. Then the other is that when someone's away, it, it really, and you have notice about that, it means that you have to put in place systems to look after that. So you, in our case with bookkeepers, we need to have backup bookkeepers who are trained on all of the the clients. It also means that we have systems in place and training documented and we've shared the relevant passwords. So in preparing for someone to go on holidays, it means that we're creating these backup systems, whereas sometimes backups and risk management aren't really prioritized, especially in a young business. And then when someone is on holidays, it gives you a chance to have a look at how that process is working and someone with a different set of eyes can look at it and there might even be opportunities for improvement or questions about why we're doing something a certain way that can come up. So that's what we've been working on and that's our focus this week is around planning for holidays and then also communicating that early with our clients in terms of what that means. And what we did last year, while we did shut down the office between Christmas and New Year, we still had a rotation of one team member checking emails on each day just to make sure that there was nothing urgent coming through. And while most of our Australian clients are taking time off during that period, it is gearing up to the US end of financial year. And so it is possible that something that is urgent could come through during that period, which is why we try and have one person on every day there in case of emergencies. Not not that we really expect bookkeeping emergencies, um, but but it is important to, to, to have that option and for clients that feel like they, they can be looked after. So on to today's topic, which is around team management and communication. 
And I'm just going to go through a couple of different examples of things that have come up in the business recently and then talk through how I've handled it and my thoughts. So the first one was a team member having someone in their team not completing a particular task. And I have a framework that I went or that I normally go through if some, if a team member is not doing something that I would like to drill into why that's not happening and, and then try and understand what is the root cause. And so when the team member that I'm mentoring came to me with this problem, I worked through the framework with them. So we jumped on a call and then we worked through step by step. So first of all, I would say if I talked about let's frame the problem. So what isn't being done? And so we, we talked about what that was. And so is what you wanted and by when was that clearly defined? And how was that communicated? And is that written down somewhere? And, and sometimes that might be where the problem is. The, the team member that you're working with, they might not be clear about what you wanted and when you needed it done by. If that was clear, then the next question I would ask is, do they actually know how to do it? So they might know what you want and they might know when you need it by, but do they actually have the resources and the skills to know how to do it? And so what training has been provided around that? What resources can they refer to? Do we have some internal process notes around how to complete this task? And have you had confirmation from them? And and by confirmation that someone understands, I don't mean yes. So it's very easy to say, yes, I understand. But have you asked the questions in a way where someone has had to demonstrate that they understand how to do something? So if I wanted to make sure that someone understood how to use LastPass, I wouldn't say, do you understand how to use LastPass? Because they'd probably just say yes. Instead, I would say, can you do a screen share with me showing me how you use LastPass? And in two minutes, I'd quickly see what they do and do not know. So if we've confirmed that they do, they know the what, so what you want, they know when it needs to be done by, and they know how to do it, then next I want to dig into why, if someone was clear on all of these things, then why why wouldn't it have been done? And usually the reason for that will be lack of time or lack of resources. And for me, not enough time is never a reason because it's just a matter of priorities. And so in this case, something must have been prioritized higher than what was already on the list. And if you're working with a team member where you are the sole manager, then you can have some input into that priority list and look at all of the tasks that are on there and the due dates. And you might be able to reshuffle things and say, well, actually, X, Y, Z, they're actually lower priorities. So let's move those so that this particular thing that you're not getting a chance to work on can move up the priorities. If multiple people are assigning work to the one person, then that can get a little bit more difficult because it is harder to reprioritize a task that someone else has given a team member. But in that case, if this is quite important, then I'd create a, a meeting with the other person that is creating tasks for this team member and then sit together to go through that list of priorities and again see what can be pushed back. If we've agreed that they know what is needed, when it needs to be done, how to do it, and they've got the time and resources to complete it and a task still isn't being done, then maybe there's another issue. Maybe they don't agree with what they're being asked to do or they think it's a waste of time or they don't like the process. 
And if that's the case, then again, we're not running a dictatorship. There's, again, I wouldn't say, well, you have to do it this way. Instead, I would ask a question. Why don't you like doing this particular task? Or why do you think it's a waste of time? Or why are you doing this alternative method? Or why are you not doing it at all? Depending on what the situation is. And then I'd try and understand their reasoning. An example might be, in our business, we want everyone to use Google Sheets instead of Microsoft Word and Excel. And the reason for that is Google Sheets is in the cloud. So it means that it's much easier to collaborate on the one document and we don't have version control issues. It also means that when we don't have any file storage issues in terms of someone saving something on their desktop, forgetting to upload it, something happening to the computer and then us losing that file. If it's just done directly in Google Sheets in our shared folders, then the risk of losing the file is significantly reduced. But there are some pain points around Google Sheets. Like if you're on slow internet, it might not run as quickly or some of the formulas that are available in Google Sheets might or in Excel might not be available. But if this was the situation and so a team member knew everything, um, knew the why, knew the how, but they didn't want to use Google Sheets, then I'd want specific examples of why. And maybe we need to reassess whether Google Sheets is the right tool. But at after we've worked through that process, I would want a clear process that everyone in the business is going to commit to and then hold people accountable to, to following that process. So say in the Google Sheets example, we've, we've talked about some of the flaws. Okay, so it doesn't, Excel has some formulas that Google Sheets doesn't do. But then I would ask, can you give me an example of any clients where we actually need these advanced formulas? And is there another workaround? And I'd, I'd say for simple bookkeeping work and simple month-end adjustments, pretty much every formula that you would need to do that would be in Google Sheets. So yes, the, that's an example of Excel being better, but it's not actually a legitimate reason for our use case. Another reason might be that it's harder to use on slow internet. And if that was a reason, then my response would be, why are we using slow internet? Um, and because slow internet would be an issue not just for Google Sheets, but actually that's an issue for using Zero. It would be an issue for running many of the programs that we use in the cloud. In the cloud. So the, the underlying issue here is not Google Sheets. It is slow internet and we need to get that result uh, as quickly as possible because we're a, a cloud business. And so you can see here, for me, it's about understanding someone else's opinion, but also getting really specific. So if someone makes a general statement like, um, Excel is better than Google Sheets. Well, it may well be, but it depends on the use case. So let's get specific about exactly what it's, Google Sheets is or isn't doing um, that you need it to, and then maybe there's alternative solutions. So just to recap on, on this, as I said, it's not about running a dictatorship. The, we run the business like a democracy and with very little hierarchy. But in order to do that, we need to commit to processes and one way of doing things in the business. And so when when team members are assigned work or when they agree to do something, it needs to be really clear the what, the when, the how, that they have the time and resources, and then also that they're agreeing to the process. And if someone doesn't agree with the process, then they need to convince everyone else that there's a better solution. And then again, we need commitment that we're sticking to one process and then everyone will be held accountable to that. So th that's an example of the framework that I would work through rather than 
initially think, I like to assume that everyone has a, a good attitude and is doing their best. So it's not that they're not wanting to do the right thing. It's that there potentially is other roadblocks in the way. So let's take the time to dig in and understand these, these issues. Next up is how to handle solutions where there is a fast solution and a better solution. And this would be, this would apply to a client situation. So there might be a, a quick workaround that gets the result that you need. And then there's a best practice solution, which is more time consuming and potentially more expensive. Uh, one example of that might be to, if you're migrating data across run zero, one example would be to bring in a trial balance, which is just the balances at a point in time. And the other method might be to bring in all of the transactions. So as well as the balances, you have all of the history. But that second method is significantly more expensive. And I, I would say that there's lots of different examples of this with different kinds of businesses. We've well, got the fast solution, which gets you pretty much to the result you need. And then there might be a much more expensive, better solution. And the way I would approach this with clients is that it's not up to us to make that decision. It's up to us to provide information about the two options and then let a client make their own decision. And different clients will have different budgets and different risk profiles. So it's important for them to, to have the options. And I see our role as the bookkeeping and financial advisory firm as to clearly lay out those two options and the pros and cons and the price and then let someone else make the decision rather than just selecting one of those options and moving forward. Because if you're not having that conversation then from a, and you don't feel like you can charge an extra fee, then probably you're going to pick the fast solution, which may not be the solution that a client wants. And if it's not clearly explained, then they may not be open to paying for the, the better solution. However, if it is clearly explained, then they may still select that option. So to recap on that, I think it's important where there are options to provide both with a price so that a client can make that decision rather than you taking ownership of that decision. The next situation that I wanted to talk through was where you have a due date looming, but the client isn't providing information or sign off. And so you're starting to worry about whether the due date will be met. And an example of that in our business is that business activity statements or BAS have a due date. But if a client hasn't provided approval to lodge, then we can't lodge. And so what can we do in that situation? And or how can we avoid getting in these situations in the first place? Because one, one solution might be to lodge the business activity statement without the client approval. And for me, that's not an option. That is not following the process. And it also means we're taking on the risk because, because we haven't done the right thing which is to have client approval before we lodge. So that's not an option. The other is to potentially lodge late. And again, that's not an ideal solution. So what can we do to avoid late lodgement? And in this case, I think part of it is around setting the right expectations up front. So if we've provided, in our case, when we're completing a job like this, we'd be providing reconciliations and queries and we'd be we'd know that we need to have all of that ready by a particular date to allow enough time for the client to get back to us, to allow enough time for preparation and then lodgement. So I think it's important to communicate those 
those dates and to provide deadlines for the client about when they need to answer queries or respond to the request to provide approval for lodgement. So if that's all laid out clearly in an email, then they have the information and the, the onus, as long as we've provided, as long as we've met all of our deadlines, the onus is back on the client to make sure that they're providing and meeting their end of the bargain as well to ensure that lodgement happens on time. So providing early notice and having clear documentation of what we are going to do as the service provider and then what's expected of the client and the deadlines around that. I also feel like it's our responsibility to, to follow up. So if, if we've provided an email that is requesting authorization, authorization to lodge and there's a due date, sometimes email slips through the cracks. And really, if I was a client in another situation and I hadn't responded, I would, I would at least expect one email reminder and maybe two. So I do feel like it is in this situation, it's our responsibility as well as providing the timelines, timelines, we need to make sure that we've provided an email reminder and maybe a second. So that we've set those clear expectations about timelines and then we're following up. And then if the due date passes and we still haven't received the approval to lodge, then we wouldn't deviate from the process and lodge without authorization. We would, again, let the client know that we're still waiting on their approval to lodge and unfortunately the lodgement will have to be late as they haven't met their end of the bargain. And lastly, in this communication podcast episode, I wanted to talk about creating accountability. And to me, the first component of accountability is who needs to do what and by when. But the second component of accountability is who is holding that team member accountable? How did they, how do they do this and by when? As an example, a project that we're running internally at the moment is called customer excellence. And we're looking at a whole range of different areas within our client experience process of where we can provide value and provide a better experience. And we know that there's a number of things that impact customer happiness and that ranges from things like responding to emails quickly within 24 to 48 hours, that we're getting reports out on time or early, and also that we've set really clear expectations upfront about how our service is going to work and what they can expect, and then we deliver on those expectations. So if we were we were talking about creating accountability for our email response times. And there's a couple of layers to this. So the, the first is setting the expectation with the team. So what is the who needs to do what by when? So the expectation is that each bookkeeper will reply to their emails, all of their emails from every client within 24 to 48 hours. So that's what they need to do. And it might, if it's a detailed, tricky question, especially during end of month or the first week after the end of the month, which is our busiest week, then the email might just need to say, hey, we've received your email. We're in the middle of end of month and I will get back to you in two weeks about this as this is this question is going to require some more research. But at least there's a response. So the first component is setting that expectation with the bookkeepers and giving them the, the tools they need to do that effectively, which might be email templates if they need to push back a, a particular request that is time consuming so that they can meet their other deadlines. The next is having someone that is checking on that. And so our customer success managers are going into emails Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays for their team and just keeping an eye on everything 
and making sure that all the emails are being responded to and where they're not, that they're tagging it with the team member or, or asking if they need help drafting a particular reply. And so how do we hold the, the customer success managers accountable to know that they're doing that? Well, one method might be to run a report in our email system, Help Scout, to see how many open emails there are or response times. And that is testing the, the outcome. But while we're still getting the team, while, while the team is still learning about this process, we realize that it might actually be better to test the input rather than the outcome. So the things that the customer success managers can control is that they are doing that check Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And if they're signing off on that every week to say, yes, I've checked my, my teams, my bookkeeping teams, uh, emails, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, then over time, we would expect to see change from our bookkeepers that they know that they're being held accountable to reply quickly, which normally everyone aims aims to do anyway, but sometimes during busy end of month periods, there can be some slower replies. So they know what the expectation is. The customer success managers now know what's expected of them in terms of when they need to check and what they need to do. And they also know that they're reporting back in the monthly management, in the weekly management meeting. And ultimately, it probably should be on a report rather than in a management meeting. So that's just an example of with accountability. I don't think it it doesn't just stop with who needs to do what by when, but there also needs to be some accountability around who is checking that to make sure that behavior changes. And I don't think behavior happen behavioral changes don't happen in one day or one week. It's through repetition that things become habit. And so that's part of my philosophy around creating change in a business. Is, is that this accountability needs to be happening maybe for four to six weeks before something becomes a habit and then it becomes part of the routine. And so you can't make too many behavioral changes all at once. And so we're conscious of picking what is the first most important, what is, what is the next, and then gradually creating great habits internally around these different things like email response times or customer success managers doing their checks. So this has been it's been a bit of an ad hoc mix of questions that have come up or projects that we're working on in the business internally. And I really like thinking about management strategies and also communication. And I think a lot of it comes back to understanding the person that you're dealing with or team member, where are they at? How do they feel about this situation? Where, is, What is their why? Where are they coming from? And then drilling into the specific details about the particular situation and they're communicating clearly and whether that communication is about setting expectations or following up and accountability, the more precise and clear and concise you are, I think the more effective the communication. And that was something that Michael talked about in a previous episode on the podcast where he's talking about the bento box method of communication and the fact that if you can have a clear opening message, some small, segmented, precise points that you want to raise and then a clear closing statement, then that helps in effective communication. And effective communication is really about what the other person, what information the other person has taken in, not what you have said. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. And Again, if you have other questions or case studies around these kind of management leadership communication techniques, or you have some tips of your own to share, I would love to hear them. And make sure to comment on this particular episode show notes 
or to write in using the contact form on our website. Thanks.